0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal
1: Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. All right, mind pump listeners, listen here, little motherfuckers. You're, whoa, <laughs> well, whoa, that's the whoa. wrong Coming way to talk hot. to our Coming listeners. In hot. We love you guys. We
2: interviewed a very in inter- inappropriate, way. interesting well, look, individual. Let's be
1: honest, some of them are motherfuckers. Yeah, anything right? about it? Eh, well, whoa, yeah. so
3: are you? Bro. Yeah, you're
1: about to listen Mill to us interview out. Zach Bitter. Zach Bitter is the holder of the 100 mile. American running record. You heard that correctly. Yeah.
2: 100 miles.
1: 100 miles. At he,
2: one time. That's not like over the course yeah. of a year. Yeah.
1: Like I've run 100 miles too over <laughs> the course of 37 years. But he, um, this is, uh, what was the pace? Like it was like a seven minute, seven minute mile miles. pace. Yeah. That for is 100 insane. miles Can
2: I just say that's the part that is unbelievable to me. To I can't even, right now, there's no way. And you maintain that. Okay, to run a seven minute mile. It, it, you have to be in fucking great shape just to run one mile, one yeah. seven minute mile. Yeah, you're you in good be, shape.
1: Yes, he ran that. He ran that a hundred times in a row. Yeah, he, he basically run, ran the equivalent of three marathons in three three hour marathons, all at one time. I mean, it's it's insane this guy's level of endurance and performance. But he's very interesting for other reasons as well. Yeah, Zach is very one very fascinating guest. He guests. is part of a g- very quick, uh, fast growing minority. In the athletic world of athletes who eat uh, low carbohydrates, who are fat adapted, he eats a, real, a pretty much ketogenic diet most of the time, and so he talks about that and why other athletes are now adapting this type of athlete, uh, adopting this type of diet. Very
3: it, interesting insight he puts in there.
1: Too. Very, very interesting. He's a, he's a very intelligent guy. The, the way he approaches his training. His understanding of nutrition and exercise—it's
2: obvious why he—he's a world record holder. Yeah, it's yeah, obvious. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, his level of uh, that he's gone into as far as studying with his nutrition, his program design. I mm-hmm. mean, it was what a what, one of so my favorite interviews actually chains, yeah. for a guy who who ta- who prides himself on never doing cardio or running ever in my life. I know, right? He was he was probably one of one of my favorite guys to talk to because it was just so interesting to dive into his mind and his approach. Not to mention. It goes right along with everything that we've been talking about recently mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. sugar and carbs. Because in the past, he would be the perfect example that they would pull from right. on why it would be ridiculous for you to do that. Because they need carbs. And carbs are so important. And you got to load, 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 load. everyone If you're an athlete or you're anybody who does anything endurance related, yeah. you must take carbs in. and
3: So that just blew that excuse right
2: out. Oh, of it. Yeah, it's,
1: it's fascinating. Uh, you can find him on Facebook, uh, Zach Bitter. You can find him on Twitter at ZBitter. Instagram, at Zach Bitter, and his website is, you want to make a guess? Anybody want to take a guess? What? Yeah. Is Zach, it Zach Bitter? ZachBitter.com?
2: You spell that
1: Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. Dot com. Uh, He's so, bitter than you. Without going into any more uh, hubbub, uh, here we are with Mr. Zach Bitter. First of all, um, we looked at your 100-mile American uh, <laughs> record. You kept up a seven-minute mile Dude. pace for a hundred miles. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> so I would have passed out on the first lap. Well, I mean, I can't run a I can't run a half a mile in three and a half minutes. So I, and you, you did a hundred of them in seven minutes. That's insane. But it was on a track, right? Yeah,
4: it was. Yeah, they do this event down in Phoenix, Arizona, every year called the Desert Solstice, and it's basically like an ultra marathon track invite where you, uh, I guess, if you go there, you're trying to break some kind of record, whether it's an age group or. Uh, outright world or American record. So that day I had um, good fortunes in the 100 mile distance, I guess. Wow. And that's <laughs>
1: how many laps is that? Uh, it comes out to be like about 402 and a half. Wow. Um, wow. 400 laps in the same circle. Because when we were watching it, there's two things that, I'm, that we all commented on. Number one is the insane, of course, the obvious, the insane amount of just endurance, just total physical endurance. Right, But if the mental piece oh. is... Underst- what are you focusing on? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, understated. Is there a hot chick in mind? Or is there like something? <laughs> he, he, listens He's driving the,
3: you. he
2: listens to mind in his ears is what I think he told yeah. me. <laughs> 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 okay. For sure, yeah, you can
4: definitely listen to music and stuff on them. Uh, one of the things you're right about the mental aspect of it, it's definitely like, um, even different from other 100 milers that are more traditional, like on the trails where you can kind of like take in the landscape or things are changing like every 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 place you go or every like hill you climb whereas on the track you kind of have to try to mentally separate yourself from that because once you start counting laps that's when you're gonna run run into trouble it just gets overwhelming so like in the training even I would I would go to a track and do like uh do a run where I would progressively get faster and work on being able to kind of just mentally tune out and almost like meditate like separate yourself from your body type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of like go around in those circles without actually like feeling
2: like I was actually there.
1: Now, where do you go when you say you get out of your body? Like, where are you going? Yeah. What
2: Yeah, what do you mentally focus on? Like what, what takes you away from that?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. I think that's probably the
4: number one question I get. And it's, it's the toughest one to answer too. Cause I don't always remember. Sometimes I'll just wow. be like zoned out. Almost like it's like
2: dreaming then for you.
4: Kind of. Yeah. And then like, I think, what oftentimes happens is I kind of think of the same thing over and over again, and then it all blends into one thought at the end. And then I start thinking like, "Well, I only thought about three or four things that whole time, but really, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> really, crazy. it was like the same thing over and over again that just kind of kept popping up." But I there, would
1: be very interested to see uh, what your like your your brain waves look like while mm-hmm. you're doing that because it's almost seems like the way you explain like it, autopilot. Well, it yeah. seems <laughs> it's it's almost like a, a, a dream state or even a meditative state is mm-hmm. what it sounds like.
4: You're yeah, saying. definitely, you would fall in the line with like a meditative state type of thing. And, and that works well, as long as you're hitting the splits you want to hit and it's coming like naturally and not like having to either artificially push yourself too fast or slow yourself down. And where I noticed it got the most difficult was when I started falling off my pace. And, um, then I, then I couldn't really zone out cause if I'd zone out, I'd be slowing down too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, he, then you start counting laps a little bit and you start, mm-hmm. everything starts catching up to you a little bit. So, uh, it's definitely, you know, split more like 70 miles, 30 miles or 80 miles, 20 miles in terms of like the halfway point. And wow. I so said
3: well, it was like eight hours of consistent running. Something like that.
4: The, the total time was 11 hours and 40 minutes. 11 hours. Holy which, shit. Which
2: actually is, I think for someone like you is no big deal. Cause I know my, my good buddy's a, a ultra marathon runner and some of your guys' runs are like overnight. Like you guys run oh, for yeah. 24 hours straight in some stuff, right?
4: I, I'm, I'm like just, I'm pedestrian compared to what some of these guys are doing. Like there's these guys who do like six day events where they're like, out there running for six days and you obviously you manage things along the way you decide when to sleep and when not to sleep and i mean there's guys who've done it and slept like less than 10 hours the entire time and it's crazy just think of staying up for six days Mm -hmm. and only sleeping for 10 hours (laughs) is not even just sitting around seems pretty daunting but yeah yeah it's a it's a goofy sport um and you kind of you kind of find like what part is gonna draw the most uh the most like intrigue from you. And that's kind of what you focus on. Cause when you're exerting that much physical,
2: and mental energy, you,
4: you've, you've got to enjoy the process. When, yeah.
2: when did you start? When did you know you had a passion for that? Or where, where did, it, where did this come from? Yeah. Stim from childhood or did you get it later? Like when the bug ha- hit you?
4: For sure. It was, you know, running in general was started early on, like middle school, high school age is, you know, like any boy that age, you kind of gravitate to what you tend to be better at. And Um, I found out very quickly that I was near the back of the pack if I did the 100 meter dash, but I could be in the front of the pack if I would do like the 800 or the mile or something like that. So um, I started kind of thinking, oh, maybe I should try cross country. Maybe I should do the two mile and track instead of the 200 or something like that. And um, that's when I started to kind of realize that uh, I had at least some talent in the in the sport. Um, And then, you know, competing in college and stuff, I got introduced to like a high mileage training mindset. And I really started to like that. Uh, most of my college days kind of ended up being just really physically adapting to that, building that base, that structure. Um, and then afterwards, that was my, my favorite part of it was those long, longer, slower, distant runs. So I did a lot of that and really developed like an aerobic base. Um, and, you know, that kind of I turned my energies towards running races that kind of match that type of training style.
1: Now, with all that training, you know, starting from, you know, going through college and up until now, were there any... Turning points, in other words, were there any moments where you changed something fundamental in your training or your diet or maybe your mental preparation where you were able to see a, a significant boost in your performance? You know, things that you may now incorporate now that you learned, you know, early on,
4: yeah, for sure. Like, I, you know, like we were saying before, um, uh, uh basically, what at one point I, I looked at kind of what I was doing in like my training log, and I was like, you know, I'm investing 20 plus hours a week into. In, into this activity. And at the time I was a full-time teacher as well. So I started almost feeling guilty about it. Mm. So I'm like, <laughs> I got to find a way to like double my time here and kill two birds to one, with one stone, so to speak. So I started, you know, listening to tons of podcasts on um both like fitness and nutrition and things like that. And, um and, and I, I started looking at like, how can, how can nutrition really kind of like take you to the next level? And, Um, That was right around the time where like using fat as fuel kind of became a little more mainstream or well-known. And uh, or at least it was information about it was more available and it wasn't completely like spat at by by all the professionals. Um, So I started kind of playing around with that. And I I noticed right away it was it was one of those things where like you don't really always know if something's not wrong until you change it and then you feel better. And Mm -hmm. you're like, wow, like for me, it was it was pretty, pretty abrupt too. I like, um, at first I didn't, I didn't go like strict ketogenic right away or anything like that in, in my diet, but I definitely kind of flipped it all on its head. And rather than doing a typical, typical endurance athlete protocol where you're like super high carbohydrate, I did the majority of my macros from, from dietary fats and, you know, at least half of those saturated. So when I did that, I noticed I was sleeping better. You know, I wasn't waking up as much to like go to the bathroom. I was recovering quicker. I wasn't getting like um, as much swelling and stuff from hard workouts and stuff like that. So things seem to be a little – just seem to be clicking along a little better from that. So with that, I was really sold. And then it was kind of like, all right, I've got this base of like kind of idea of what what works for me. Um, now let's, let's sharpen that spear as much as possible. And like over the next three, four years, I really started to fine-tune things by, you know, trying little things to change and stuff all along that same kind of concept where – the the high fat approach is going to be the fueling point for my training.
1: Very interesting because uh, the the one category of athletes that have really started to adapt or excuse me adopt um, a more high fat diet approach seems to be the endurance athletes. I think that's mm-hmm. it's you're, now you're still a minority with among your peers. Sure. However, uh, y- it's much harder to find other categories of athletes that eat this way. Yet now, I think in the future mm-hmm. you're going to see much more. But mm-hmm. you guys have seemed to adopt more of the stuff, um, and I'm I think it probably has more a, a lot to do with the fact that, like you said, the anti-inflammatory effects they're mm-hmm. going to be pronounced with someone who does you know constant repetitive motion right. like you. And then here's a second question I have because you know I know uh, you know I've trained and I've worked with lots of uh, endurance athletes, and you know they have to feed themselves during their long events. They right. have to make sure they refuel themselves with glycogen. And what a lot of people don't realize is, uh, you know, at, at most your body may be able to score, you know, store, I don't know, six, seven thousand calories with a glycogen, but even the leanest athletes will have in the tens of thousands of calories, you know, 30,000 calories of, of stored fat energy that they could, they could mm-hmm. you know, use. Do you, do you find yourself, you know, refeeding yourself while you're running differently or less now as a result? Does that change at all?
4: Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. A lot of people will come to this approach because of that very reason, like they'll do a hundred miler or something like that, and then they'll... They'll realize, wow, after mile eighty, I, you know, I stopped to use the bathroom twenty times. Something went wrong. I couldn't take my gels in anymore, and uh, they realize that that's not a sustainable option for them if they want to meet their full potential. Uh, so they have to look at trying to find a way to not put their stomach in that place to begin with. Mm. Um, for me, I, it was a little different. Like I always kind of had an iron gut, and I would I would be able to take in four or five hundred calories an hour of basically pure sugar, and it didn't seem to really bug me too much. Um, but then I, what I noticed is when I switched my macros around in my day-to-day life, um, I could do the same like level performance or the same energy output on one to two, maybe two fifty calories an hour. Um, and then you know you just you just you feel a lot. Anytime you can keep your body from doing an extra task when you're already asking it to do a lot, that's a plus. So like I try to eliminate digestion as much as possible. By doing that, um, lower feeding during the event type of approach Interesting.
1: Now, are you still feeding with carbohydrates while you're doing these long runs? So, you, in other words, you're, you're you know eating your macros are high fat, but then when you get into your race, because I know some endurance athletes, what they do is they eat ketogenic, which really uh, sensitizes their body to insulin. Mm-hmm. Then they may load a little bit on carbs, far less than they ever did before, and then sure. the refeeds during the runs or or cycle, you know, whatever is much, much less as a result because our body's utilizing more of those carbohydrates. Are you doing it like that or are you refeeding with fats or how does that work for you? Yeah,
4: yeah. I definitely have like – just like with my training, I've got like cycles. So um, in a race, uh, I'm going to – any fat I'm going to burn, I'm going to just – I'm going to allow it to burn off my body. Because like you said, even when I'm at my very leanest state, you know, the leanest endurance athlete still has tens of thousands of calories that they can tap into from body fat. So for me to ingest a fat during a race – Seems counterintuitive. Because, oh, good point. Right, because I can just bypass the digestive track altogether. Very good point. Fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's one last task. You, de- you definitely have spent some time in this. <laughs> it's really fine-tuning and, yeah, it all. That's yeah. fucking... You could say I've done a deep dive. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so the interesting thing too is uh, from what I've seen is there's, some, there's l- at least some individual like variants from person to person uh, where like when I really hit hard training – Um, Where I'm doing like two a days and doing some strength work and maybe some speed work and stuff like that, Um, you know, carbs are definitely a faster acting fuel source, and I I don't feel like they should be eliminated or I don't want people to come away thinking, "Oh, this guy hates carbohydrates; he's anti-carb." Because when I'm peak training and like really going hard, you know, I'll up my intake to twenty, thirty percent carbohydrate um, and fuel that higher end stuff um, and just replenish those glycogen stores a little faster through that through those means. But then when I'm doing like a recovery post-race or doing just an easy block where I'm not going really hard, I'm just doing base miles, that's when I'll drop it down lower. Like I'll finish a race, then I'll drop it down to keto level like 5% or sometimes less.
1: Wow. See, it's important for our listeners to know, now, your high amount is 20%, 20% carbohydrates, right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. Which is low. That's low carbs. Right. And you are a guy who's running... Miles and miles and miles every single week. Mm-hmm. Uh, now think of the average person who's usually sedentary. Even if they go to the gym for an hour a day, they're for they're sure. extremely sedentary. Um, and twenty twenty percent of the calories f- from carbs will still be considered low. Well, carb. this is
2: why this is part of why we were so excited to have you on the show. Was you know this has been a recent message of ours. There's been a lot of stuff that just mm-hmm. recently in New York Times about the sugar. We just did a mm-hmm. thing from a TED Talk we watched. And so we've been trying to get this message across to people that we're not trying to tell people that like, oh, God, carbs are so bad. Stay away from. But it's like getting people to realize how little we actually need them. Right. And Mm -hmm. in the past, we used to always lean on the like, well, if you were somebody who trains really hard or
3: an athlete or you need that energy, where are you going to get it from? You need those carbohydrates. And so
2: that was kind of the pushback. And then everybody in their head justifies that they're some sort of a fucking athlete. And they you know what I'm saying. So they (laughs) need 65 percent carbohydrates. (laughs) So I love listening to you talk about how much more efficient and probably better you feel and you said something earlier i want i have to repeat it because we've said it before on the show and i think it's so important is that people don't realize that they were either one doing something wrong or, or less healthy for themselves until you find like right the healthier path right you mm-hmm. probably thought you were you're kicking ass already you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. you were yeah, doing just fine yeah. the way you were going mm-hmm. and then you make that switch and then all of a sudden it's like whoa, I feel even better than I felt before. Oh my God, I'm sleeping. And this is like a lot of people who ingest a lot of processed shit food all the time who listen to the podcast and say like, well, I'm not one of the- I feel fine. I feel healthy. I feel good. Well, maybe it's not that. Maybe you just don't know what it's like to your body to feel really
4: true. 100- yeah. yeah, you've yeah. adapted <laughs> you know? to that. Well, an interesting thing too is like from my experience, there's like three things that people really get a kind of routine or dogmatic or just kind of like, um, stuck on, and that's politics, religion, and their their health or nutrition. they what they're eating. We just said literally <laughs> <Yeah>. that on an <laughs> <the> episode. <Yeah.
1: laughs>
3: we yeah. said you can't even bring up nutrition right. in the conversation anymore. I know it's yeah. that
4: polarizing yeah. that it's like it's like debating Trump and Hillary or you know, <laughs> totally. Catholic versus Lutheran kind of thing. So it's uh, yeah, you you um, you definitely have to uh, you definitely hear a lot and see a lot. And like one of the questions I'll get too about that is you know, some will say, Well, yeah, but you know you're doing these ultra endurance events where you're at that like zone one zone two aerobic state at like the majority of the run so you can do that and it's like if you were doing a fast 5k or something like that you would you you'd have to go super high carb and you know my thought about that is that i mean i would definitely restructure my kind of cycle the way i described before um but even if you're doing like a 1500 meter you're you that's on a there's a huge aerobic base that's developed throughout the year for that. So, like the way I would approach it would be the same way I approach my training. I, I use fat for fuel for the aerobic stuff, and then um, when I need that high octane fuel, I turn to the high octane fuel and that's that sugar. Well, there's been se- there's been several studies
1: yeah. that have shown that athletic strength, athletic performance. Uh, they did this with male gymnasts. Uh, was just as it was okay. Uh, not not only was it okay, but it was the same, if not a little better. Um, on a ketogenic style diet and they also now found that athletes who who are fat adapted believe it or not have just as much glycogen stores within their muscle as other people because the body will make all the glycogen it needs from your protein. Mm, For sure. Um, uh, So it's pretty interesting but one thing you said that was uh, fascinating was that you noticed less inflammation uh, in your body when you switched over uh, to eating that way and I think it's important to note just the pure oxidative stress on the body that any extreme sport or any extreme endeavor will do. I mean, yeah. you're training for a high level of performance. You're not training for just overall health and longevity, for sure. And so, mm-hmm. oxid you know oxidative stress and damage and inflammation uh, are huge factors for you to consider. Mm-hmm. And you said you noticed less less pain. Like, what do you mean by that?
4: Um, you know, some of it was just it was really really subtle, where it was almost like you you, you notice what you don't notice kind of thing, where. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and then instead of having my ankles swollen, they would be like, you know, they'd be like, there'd be no swelling in there. My feet would have like veins throwing up like all over the place as opposed to just being having this like puffy foot from being on my feet all day the day before. Mm. Um, Stuff like that, little things like that. um, Recovery too. Mm. Uh, The the biggest thing I noticed early on was like I would, before when I was the high carb uh, approach, I would, I'd do like a 50 miler really hard and then- you know, I would after about three days, the muscle soreness would would have subsided, but it'd be about two weeks before I felt like really good running again. Like I would be able to run, but it'd just be kind of like slow plodding, or like you know, like n- n- I wouldn't really have any desire to push pace. And then when I when I switched that on its head and uh, like really lowered that oxidative stress I was causing during the event and in the days after. Uh, I noticed I'd still take that two to three days to kind of let that muscle recovery occur. Uh, But then after that, it's like I could almost do a speed workout like five days after where like that pop was back. That inflammation had been flushed out. Like there wasn't um, any of that like chronic lingering around type of swelling and stuff that really – is the majority of anyone's muscle pains, so, and the muscles heal quick. It's getting all that other crap out of there is, is so the hard part. Sometimes that,
2: that goes into a little bit of what I want to ask you about too. The whole, I mean, I can't imagine how sore we were. We were watching the video of you just. <laughs> oh, you were just man. like, give me a fucking blanket. I'm just gonna sleep right here. <laughs> yeah, on yeah. T- yeah. I was like, Fuck yeah, even gonna, going. I'm too. <laughs> I even, it a night. <laughs> I mean, to me, and uh, and I know we we were probably gonna offend all the other athletes and other sports, but we were all d- debating saying like that. That has to be one of the most intense grueling things you could ever possibly oh put your God. body through <laughs> I mean to for that long that hard I mean the level that you were pushing at and then to see you afterwards like I mean that literally you just want to just curl up right there at the end what is that like afterwards it's it's pretty
4: crazy you know I've, it's it, it ranges a bit I've had events where like you finish and 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 you 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 don't feel good but like you you know you're you're up and going and even after that event like you know the initial like response was like all right I'm done, this is over, I'm sitting down, I'm lying down, I'm not getting up until I want to. But, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, you know, I'm up walking around talking to people and hanging out and stuff. So like, um, that's one thing that I've found the human body has impressed me the most with is that like, regardless of what you focus it on, it can get really, really good and it can adapt. So like, and and the whole, the nutrition is just a whole nother aspect towards that, towards maximizing that ability for your body to adapt. Mm. Um, But yeah, you know, you know, there's some usually what I find is if I do a race that doesn't match my training environment is when I'm the most wrecked. So like, of course, Uh going into that race, I did a lot of hard, flat, like road track type races. Mm-hmm. So the muscle pain wasn't too bad really afterwards. I was definitely sore and a little achy, but, you know, a couple of days later I was fine. Um But if I had gone out and done like a race that was just like up and down, up and down, tons of eccentric contraction, I would have been just destroyed after that thing because oh. it's
1: just different. Different stimulus. Well, now, yeah. now, mm-hmm. now, going to the bathroom while you're doing that for <laughs> you know eleven hours or whatever. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you're gonna if you got to take a poop, you got to stop. But sure. you, just, you just pee yourself, right? And then what you do. When you, <laughs> well, I, I'm asking that because I have a friend yeah. of mine who does long, long yeah. endurance, and that's what she said. She's like, you just pee yourself, and it's you probably keep going. just pretty much fucking water. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to stop because it all counts towards your time. Yeah, yeah, am I right? right. Or? It's
4: it's interesting. You know, I've I've. Um, yeah, at at Desert Solstice I stopped twice to pee. And that's all. I stopped the entire time. So it was maybe 90 seconds. Wow. And I, we actually talked about this on another podcast, too. Then the guy was like, so if you were like right on razor's edge of breaking a record and you had to pee really bad, would you just like pee your pants? So I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> fuck fuck <laughs> yeah, him, yeah. yeah. For a record? For a record? Dude, I would shit myself. <laughs> yeah. No problem. No and that's, problem. That's
1: happened to people before. Yeah. Oh, if they're man. like, you're about to break the world record, I'd be like, I'm taking a shit right now. Yeah. For two that's reasons. Number out. one, I'm about to break yeah. the world record. Number no. two, but that's a, shit. That's Sorry
3: a, for the guy behind you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. that's a huge aspect of
4: the hundred mile distance. And I think it really becomes kind of the dividing point between like a hundred kilometer or like a 50 mile race. And then moving up to the hundred mile distance is managing your digestion, managing the bathroom breaks and stuff. Because like you said, if, if digestion goes wrong, it, it can go horribly wrong and you can end up in the bathroom. Like, and just realizing how is, how is there that much in me? Like, where's this <laughs> coming from? And, you know, you hear stories of people, like, having to stop 20 sometimes in the last, like, quarter wow. of a race and stuff. And they're just destroyed. And, you know, that adds tons of time, tons of time. And, um, you know, I actually haven't an I had an instance that that happened to me once. Uh, I was doing this indoor track race up in Alaska uh, called Six Days in the Dome. And I was doing – I was just – I was trying to go for the 100-mile world record, actually, which is 11 hours and 28 minutes. And I – ate something bad, like right before the race Mm -hmm. or the night before something. Cause like as soon as I started running, my stomach was already kind of off. So I knew it wasn't like just bad fueling choices during the race. And, um, I stopped like three times in the first 30 miles and just like unloaded. (laughs) And I was like, I remember thinking at mile 30, like, yep, that's everything. There's no way there's anything else (laughs) in there. I'm I'm good to go. 70 miles. It's just, let's just get this done (laughs) now. And, uh, I, I got I think I started kind of eating. I I think I I focused more on liquid calories after that, just because I was like, ah, that's going to be a little easier to absorb. Mm. And then I think I got to like mile 60 or 65 or something. And I started kind of thinking I was going to try to eat something, something like really small and sugary. Like I I always try to really trickle it in slow because I just, I do rely majority on that fat adaptation. Um, But I remember grabbing like a small handful of Swedish fish and that just like turned my stomach upside down. (laughs) And, (laughs) I like literally fifteen fifteen, twenty miles later, I like I I, shat, I shit the sweetest fish right out. <laughs> they came straight out. There's no digesting of those things. They went right through me. So like you, you have those instances of stories and um you know I I think I ended up stopping like seventeen or eighteen times on that event. And, you know, I ran twelve hours and eight minutes and you you look at like the seventeen stops, you know, and how much time that adds up. I mean, that's the difference between you know getting that time you wanted and having it be a little slower than you wanted so like it's it's part of the it's part of the sport so to speak but it's something that's very preventable if you uh, um, get yourself to a position where like you can trust what your body's going to do and you know how it's going to react in certain environments and stuff like that Yeah,
1: you don't want to introduce like new foods right. right right before that
2: would not be smart
1: what about um, leading up to a
2: big event like this like, what, take us through what what training and prep looks like yeah. for you. Like during the week, uh, you know, more so from your program design, like how many miles, oh, yeah, internet, you intensity speed your...
3: training, and like how you yeah. vary up uh, your train. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, what I
4: do is, you know, I'll at the beginning of the year, I'll probably i i'll i'll, I'll probably do maybe maybe two at the most three. What I would say in a races. So one where I'm going to be like, I'm going to taper for it. I'm going to try to peak for it. Cause you can only peak for so many things. Like I can do six, maybe eight ultra marathons in a year, but a lot of them are just basically hard workout long runs. Um, So the ones I'm trying to peak for the ones I'm building everything around. Uh, So throughout the course of the year, I'll probably do about four months of like, I guess you could call it like active recovery or just low zone one training where I'm not really like, I just detach. I'm like, I'm not going to mentally stress myself out about getting this done uh, but I'm still running a lot. Like I'll, I, I average over 5,000 miles a year. So that's over hundred mile a week. So even when I'm not training hard, I'm still out there moving around quite a bit. Wow. Um, and then basically once I kind of have those races identified, I structure the next two parts of the training around that. And that's the second block is kind of like this really high end aerobic, like, zone two or like if you're familiar like there's this Maffetone heart rate training method where I do a huge bulk of my training at uh at like a heart rate range and for me it's like I usually target between maybe 145 and like 155 to Mm -hmm. 160 beats per minute and I do like a lot of workouts in that range and that you know that that for me when I'm getting pretty fit is between like you know if I go if I go up to 160 you know I'm well under six minute pace if I'm at 150 155 I'm at Maybe just under six minute per mile pace. So you know those are some. It takes a while for your muscles to kind of adapt to that pace. Um, so once I kind of get that part portion of it done, when I'm getting closer, maybe like eight ten weeks out from the A race, I'll start really trying to like sharpen the spear, and I'll do like 400 meter repeats in the track, mile repeats, um, things you'd see more traditionally in like a marathon or sub marathon distance training program. And what I find out. For me, what that does is it just like makes my running economy way better. Uh, so then, when I kind of revert back to those like zone two, like heart rate based training workouts, I notice that my heart rate is lower at any given pace that it was before. So it's kind of like that that thing that pushes you past the plateau um and then you know you can only do that so many times before your body just like says screw you Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you have to time it just right and then you know you do your race you recover and you kind of like work your way back to that after that excellent
1: Mm -hmm. any strength training as a part of your routine do you do any type of resistance forms of training
4: yeah yeah you know i i got into i really loved weightlifting in high school and then in college i continued to do it and stuff and i was injured for like four months at one point in college and i just like like really really got into the weight room and just i've just enjoyed it so i've always tried to keep some semblance of that in my training um and lately it's been a lot more um a lot more like kind of core strength where it's like it not not like crunches or anything like that but like you like you'd see you know you see a lot of the runners they're like oh, i'm gonna do some i'm gonna do some abs and then you know they're just doing like these little like tiny crunches like mm. on the grass and it's like that's not you're probably just hurting your back <laughs> but <laughs> so, you know like a lot of plank work or like resistance band work to like kind of like really address my entire core like I'll, I'll grab like a foam roller and do like it's it's I, I like it because it's like it's like uh, the most bang for your buck where like I'll roll out from my quad all the way down to my ankle and it'll be it'll include like a push up as well as like a complete abdominal like crunch. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that, like uh, I do quite a bit of all I'll target lower leg strength a little bit periodized as well, where I don't shy away from the heavy weights during the base um, and so like, I'll do like, uh, some like deadlifting and stuff with, with fairly heavy weights where it's like, cool. I'm only doing maybe five reps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Excellent. when I, yeah, when I get closer, I, I usually drop some of the heavy stuff out once I start doing the high intensity workouts. Cause, um, I never want the strength training to kind of. That that's like step two, kind of. I don't, sure. if, it, if it interferes with step one, then I shouldn't be doing it. Of course. So, so
2: it's always kind of trying to find that balance. Very intelligent as far as training and stuff like that. And well, program design. And addressing
3: the posterior change. Yeah, too, no, I think that's very important. important.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's fucking really smart. How how common are uh, are you compared to everybody else? In other words, does do you feel like a lot of your peers... Are just kind of gifted and talented and get after it, or do uh, do are people starting to figure this out? Are there more ketogenic people, or are there more people that are training like you're training and, and program designing leading up? I mean, what does it look like for you as far as looking at your peers?
4: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, um, there's definitely people out there who are taking like the professional athlete approach, and they're def- they're like everything they're doing is like how is this going to affect um, my end result. Um, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of people doing it the exact same way I am. You know, I, I, I've I've really, really preached that like you keep an open mind and you do your homework and you find what works for you. Um, and you know, what works for me works for me. And it's certainly worked for some of my coaching clients as well. Uh, but you know, some people, they need to go on that journey on their own and find out what works for them. And the ultra running community is kind of goofy too, where like, um some of the like intrigue for a lot of people is like this like uh more of a like relaxed approach to it and sometimes that works out for people because like if as i'm sure you guys know like when you start stressing out about something too much or investing putting too many eggs in one basket like that can be a negative thing too like then Mm -hmm. you then things start getting 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 bad in your own head and with a sport that's so mentally driven like you do want to kind of point yeah so you you have to keep everything in perspective from that regard i've uh, I guess my personality kind of uh, allows me to keep an eye on that. So, like, I know I'm very, very dialed in, and um, but it's become such a part of my lifestyle and what I want to do that it hasn't caused a whole lot of undue stress from other areas that that could cause if I were, like, you know, trying to juggle too much at once. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of it's just, you know, I'm, I'm super lucky, too, where, like, my main sponsor, Ultra Footwear, also employs me to do some marketing in Northern California. So... Like my whole day and life kind of revolves around training and like um, teaching, like a lot of like proper footwear, proper foot mechanic type stuff. So um, you know, with that and, and, and coaching, it's like I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing my passion, so I can really minimize a huge chunk of what most people derive their stress from, like work. You know, wow, like a lot of people are just punching the clock, and that's stressful.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. so two things. So you talk when I asked you about strength training, you brought up uh, that you did a lot of core work, and it's interesting mm-hmm. to me because. When I've trained uh, endurance athletes in the past, if we did a hard resistance training workout before they were going to do a long endurance type, uh, you know, of training, let's say the day after, if I train, like if I train a runner and I train their legs really hard the day before, mm-hmm. they could still run the next day. Yep. If I train their upper body, they could still run the next day. If I hammered their core, they were screwed. <laughs> core the next and day. posterior training. Yeah, oh, yeah, I had to be very careful <laughs> where true. I would position you know, the core training, mm-hmm. uh, because it's such an important part it's of, integral part of running, of uh, yeah. yeah, that, and you're basically the lumbar pelvic hip complex, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which we talk about all the time, but something you just, you just talked a little bit about, about foot mechanic and foot strength and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you in the camp of the like excessive, you know, like the super, uh, supported. cushioned shoe, supported shoe, or are you in more on the minimalist and do you train your feet? Do you, besides running are the things you do for for your feet to make them stronger or is that even something you need to worry about Mm.
4: yeah definitely that's uh, I've done a lot of like experimenting with that in the the past and currently do too and you know I I go my philosophy kind of is in line with uh, um, the founder of Ultra Footwear who says like you want your foot to do what it would do without a shoe there um, but you sometimes want a shoe there to protect you from the environment. You, know, you don't want to be stepping on things Excellent. you shouldn't be stepping on. Mm. But you want your sho- your foot to be doing all these different movements because, like, you're getting these muscles in there that are uh, going to atrophy if you don't use them. Just like you'd go into a gym, and you know, if you go right. to a gym for the first time in six months and you do a routine, even if it was something you used to do like casually and not be sore, the next day you're going to be wrecked. So the same thing with your feet. If you put something on your feet that's not going to allow those muscles to be addressed. As soon as you do something where that's not there, they're going to be really sore. So like my approach to that is like I always want to have that really, really even plane like that zero drop footwear Mm. um, because that's going to put me in a position to strike more naturally and kind of exercise those muscles thoroughly um, where I, I guess, separate from the minimalist movement there is I'm not always like super low cushion. Like I'll range the amount of cushion I do. I'll go from something that's really flat, no cushion and really kind of work some of those muscles. Um, but then I won't always go back out to the next day and do that again. Then I might use something that's got like a flat plane uh, with uh, with
1: a decent amount of cushion on oh, it.
2: Oh, so you'll actually rotate what yep. shoe... Well, oh, it shit. makes sense. Think if about it this know, way. It does, if, I, if you go
1: to the gym, like what do we talk what are we about with yeah. the resistance training, right? You go in the gym... <laughs> You you work a muscle very, hard. Yeah. yeah, you're not. You can't keep hammering it. You know, day after day, it's going to take. Give it some time to adapt. Right, and the foot is no different. Like if he goes running in a very thin shoe, then it makes sense to have a little bit more support the next and day. And then you can really assess
3: yeah. the environment that you're about to do your race in too, mm-hmm. and, and adjust your your foot, uh, your shoe accordingly. Right. Yeah, I think yeah.
1: people need to realize that when they um, embark on a journey of getting, you know, their feet strong or whatever. It takes a lot of time especially considering the fact yeah. that we've been put in shoes since we were able to walk for sure and most shoes are so supportive that we have even the most developed muscular people have got like super atrophied yeah. <laughs> weak feet I mean uh, one of uh, uh, one of our our uh, colleagues uh, Dr Brink pointed this out big time especially me and Adam we were over there and we were doing some assessment stuff and he was showing me like my feet are basically worthless worthless, worthless. yeah they're, 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 <laughs> they're not contributing well he,
2: i mean we did a simple test i won't I'll never forget it it was just like you know he just wanted me to lift my big toe and i'm like i can't fucking do that you know i'm yeah. saying so, and he, and he <laughs> walks like, no 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 you can yeah he, he walks over and he like look you know you totally can the muscles are there the range of motion is there you just have yeah, yeah. lost the connection no, okay, there because you don't it's eat.
4: crazy and people don't realize too like um you know one thing I didn't realize when I when I got into starting to pay attention to footwear my first thing was like you know what is this minimalist idea and you know diving into that and kind of figuring that out or the natural foot movement thing Um, and then I really kind of got into the idea like your your toes like you were saying they need to be able to move like that so you can make that mind body connection Mm -hmm. um, as well as you know let your foot do what it was supposed to do so having that room to let your toes splay out is just Mm -hmm. super important and even from like letting those nerves that kind of run from your midfoot down into your toes relax and uh, um, build up and keep the inflammation out of there and stuff like that. If they're just pinched up in there all day long, it's like things are going to get inflamed, things are going to atrophy, and then you're going to, like you said, they <laughs> are going
1: to become kind of useless. Well, what's interesting, so they've done studies on people and found uh, just explosion of neural connections in the brain when people walk around barefoot a lot. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, you got to think about it this way, like uh, your brain adapts to sensory information. So the more things I touch, the more things I experience, whether it be walking on different terrain or experience different light or you know I'm reading something or whatever, my brain will adapt and, and, and will develop. And one of those things, like your, the bottom of your foot has a tremendous amount of nerve endings and constantly always walking around in shoes all the time means that you're not only have an underdeveloped foot, but there's parts of your brain, there's proprioceptive parts of the brain mm-hmm. that are not developed as well. And they find that people... When they walk around barefoot, they, they, they their brains develop uh, mm-hmm. all these new neural connections, which will only benefit uh, other parts of, le- you know, your learning and the way your body, your brain, excuse me, processes mm-hmm. information. Do you ever walk barefoot? Is that something you do? Yeah. Part- okay. Yeah, for sure. And I, I can't remember where I
4: read this, but I remember somewhere mm-hmm. somewhere I was citing something where it was like, um, even if it's just 15 minutes a day on actual ground contact, like foot to grass, dirt, ground contact yeah. is like really beneficial to kind of, and when you think about it, it, makes perfect sense. Like your body is is a whole bunch of little things working together in unison to accomplish whatever you're doing. And when you're walking, that foot is the first point of contact. So it makes sense that in in a perfect state, your brain is going to gather that first base of information from your feet. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I swear to
1: God. Every any, no, the deeper we get into fitness and health, and the more uh, we learn about the body, the more. We realize that it's uh, that if you just don't, if you don't fight, if you stop fighting evolution and go along with how your body kind of evolved, moving and mm-hmm. uh, adapting, you're gonna do better than trying to always throw, you know, cushions on it and yeah. you know, crutches <laughs> and supplements and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. It kind of worked. I mean, and, and I was having this discussion with the boys before we came in when we were watching your hundred mile race, and I was, you know, I was telling them, you know, although we're very heavy into resistance training, we love building muscle, mm-hmm. we love having you know big biceps and all that stuff. Humans, uh, from a physical standpoint, there's only really one physical thing we do that's pretty uh, exceptional in the animal kingdom, and that's uh, trek. We can out-trek. Cover long distances, yep. It's correct, right? (laughs) We can out-trek almost any animal on Mm -hmm. Earth uh, but the strongest C- certainly Zach can. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't so, I'm not sure if Justin. We'll put not, you in that category. <laughs> this, I'm not sure Justin. I can outtrack anything right now. What What I always tell certainly people certainly Zach
4: can.
3: What I always sprint tell people: sprint and kill.
4: And I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to anger any of the bodybuilding. No, go the, for it, piss but, everybody off. Yeah. I, don't
3: know. I do it all the time. By I, the way. I
4: love. I love the the bodybuilding groups and like the 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 gym rats, so to speak, because like. I mean, you guys are always a step ahead of the science. Like, that's where I go when I want to find out what are people doing right. that we haven't figured out works yet. And right. you guys are always cutting edge with that. So it's like a super intriguing group. And that open mindedness from that group has been very beneficial for me. So, like, I'm a, that's that's what got me intrigued with with your guys' podcast in the first place. Um, but, like, yeah. So, like, I always, I always tell people, like, based on, like, what are we kind of meant to do? Like, we could take an average or weak gorilla take the strongest man on the world that gorilla is going to destroy him that's exactly yeah. the, that's exactly <laughs> that's the exact, example
2: that that's I the exact
1: analogy Sal gave before that's you walked so, to the door so <laughs>
2: <funny>. we are <laughs> literally talking about that it's the exact analogy he said gorilla. he said yeah. exa- exactly you could
1: literally said. take the most roided out you know gifted you know strength athlete in the world mm-hmm. and he won't come close to yeah. a weak average gorilla but you take a human and you train you can train any human mm-hmm. for a, a decent amount you know keep him active feed him well and they will perform incredible feats of endurance uh, and they'll be able to out-track most animals. There's actually been races in the past for distance where a man will race a horse. Sure. I, I, there was mm-hmm. a famous one. I cannot remember the name or what, what it was, but where I, there were these two really wealthy. Uh, this was back in the 1800s. And one of them bet, you know, bet one guy bet the other guy, look, I bet I could go further than your horse can. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he actually was able to do it. Yeah. And this was back then. And with, you know, just normal normal amounts of training. So a uh, question I have about, uh, you know, when you're doing that kind of a race, I, obviously people are going to think, oh, your legs are tired, your body's tired. But there's got to be parts of your body where you're going to be hurting or things that are going to happen, like damage. Like, for example... Mm-hmm the chafing from your shirt on <laughs> yeah. your nipples or Ooh, the freaking yeah. or you know, nipples yeah like like <laughs> not fun anything weird you know that you could talk because I, I saw in the end of your video that your shoulder you was just so painful yeah probably from holding in a certain position for so long i mean
4: yeah what's yeah what's that like yeah it's interesting because you know it's one of those things where like you go into a hundred mile race and it's like you know something's gonna come up you didn't expect it's just a question of when and what will it be and then how will you respond to it um. so like really that's what when, when you get these guys who are really really good and have done a ton of 100 milers are, they're the ones who respond best to that uncertainty when that thing pops up they're ready to like figure it out problem solve and then move on and then not dwell on it or think like oh if that wouldn't have happened I'd be five minutes up faster or this guy wouldn't ever pass me you know so like um, yeah that stuff happens all the time like you know chafing is one that usually that one doesn't Pop up until after you like you like you it's, it's, it. it's there and it's it's manifesting mm. but like then you get in the shower afterwards and all that like, salt starts ooh. going over <laughs> yeah. it's like the worst shower on earth is the post ultra run shower like, I'm not wiping <laughs> but, tonight yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so um you know I've had you you always have interesting things um I know one time I did uh, I was I actually I was going to do a hundred mile on a track. And I was still living in Wisconsin at the time, so I did a lot of my running on the road, the flat roads, which was good for the whole flat, hard impact type thing. Um, but I didn't do any like running around circles. So when I went out there on on the day I was doing the event, I I like strained my quad in a weird way from oh, just the, the turning.
3: turning. Yep. Oh shit. Yeah, I even so think that. in that one direction, yeah.
4: Exactly. That. Yeah. And I've noticed that too. Like there's all these weird little like injuries that kind of either they don't always flare up during the event, but sometimes they'll flare up after. From doing those circles if you haven't kind of adapted to it so this last time was one of the only times i did it and came out completely unscathed um you know the days after and everything no like weird little like um niggling things that would be like uh uh would pop up afterwards And, and part of it's because i i did i put my time in on the track i would do these like 12 14 15 mile like progression runs and then I would turn the direction we we're going to turn on the race, the amount of, t- like, percentage-wise, like, basically switch your directions every four hours. So I, I thought in my mind I'm going to be doing – I'm going to be turning left for about eight hours. I'm going to be turning right for about four. So when I would do those track workouts, I would specify it that way. I would do about – um I would do about two thirds of my my uh, laps around in that uh, leftward turn, and then I would do the other one third the opposite way. and And I noticed that that really helped, especially when I would do speed work around those turns, because that really developed those turning muscles, those leaning mm-hmm. muscles, the little ones in like your legs and feet and stuff that could really see. I problems. wonder
2: how many guys really are taking it to this mm-hmm. level, like it, where you're you, at. Where dude,
1: you would be surprised because I, from the 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 people who I've met at that train, uh, especially the ultra endurance type athletes. Because there's so many of these... Think about it this way. If, uh, if I'm doing like a max uh, lift or if I'm competing in a three-minute you know, wrestling competition or whatever, mm-hmm. small little things aren't going to... And when I, mean, when I say small, I mean the tiniest of things don't necessarily come up but they do when you're when you're doing the same shit over and over again for 11 hours. I mean, that's a fantastic example of like we talk about muscle imbalances and mm-hmm. recruitment patterns and in people and how over the years they develop into you know bigger recruitment pattern ch- you know uh, you know changes. Yeah, in you're pain. Talking about something that can happen in eight hours. But, right but here. this is an, a fantastic example because you know when you run in circles or in a, on a track. It's a big track. You're not going to notice any pain. But if you do that for 11 hours, one side of your leg is striking differently than the other side, mm-hmm. and it's such a small difference that you wouldn't notice unless you did it you know repetitively yeah, that repetitive stress really adds up yeah quickly. just over and over and over and so i of all the when i've met ultra endurance athletes uh, the successful ones tend to be very uh, analytical and intelligent. Mm-hmm. Like they break everything down. Is that is that accurate? An accurate assertion or? Yeah, there's. I mean, pe- people whether they do it from
4: a more like a real numbers based analytical approach mm-hmm. or they kind of stumble upon it from a more laid back approach is kind of what I see. I mean, there's definitely guys who are more along the lines of like they're not thinking about it. They're not tracking their miles. They're not tracking like all this stuff. They're just going out and they're doing a lot of running. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they along the way, they don't necessarily realize it, but they're they're developing routines and they're developing like habits that are successful for them. And then they're, they're just kind of doing it from a more they're kind of hitting it at a different angle, whereas I'm I'm more along the lines of like, I really, really am interested in the data on the analytics mm-hmm. side of things.
3: I was going to um, ask you about that because, uh, like, as far as the adoption of technology and you see, like, Strava communities yeah. <laughs> and you see, like, all these, like, crazy uh, communities built up now with, like, apps, uh, you know, attached to all these things. Like, uh, how how into that are you? And, like, uh, explain those communities.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's insane. Like, I mean, like Strava, like you said, basically you upload your, your workout and it will tell you everything you want to know from your heart rate to, like, how fast you did a specific little section um, it even can get competitive too, where people will build segments where like this is the fastest anyone's ever gone from that spot mm-hmm. to that spot.
3: So competitive,
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's it can get. It, some people I think will abuse it, and then they'll they'll leave the race out on training with that stuff. But if you kind of know how to like go about it and not not make that your folk unless that is your goal to chase, chase Strava segments. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which there's probably some guys. <laughs> oh, for just, sure. Yeah. There's always people like
3: that. Yeah, yeah, for
4: sure. But um, yeah, you know, it, there's a lot of info there, and what I always tell people is um this is good information this is information you can use but you have to know where to draw the line like if you're using it and it's causing you to overstress and overthink that's going to be a negative that's where you've went over the tipping point kind of like a paralysis by analysis for sure and it's the same thing with like uh, with the whole nutrition approach like I was saying before people ask me oh do you test your ketones how often are you in ketosis I'm like you know i don't know i go like in and out of ketosis and that's part of the thing i want to be metabolically flexible so I, I that's my my goal is to be able to go in and out of ketosis like i want to be able to go into a high fat burning mode if i need to but i also want to be able to tap into carbohydrates but like um i don't go way out of my way to figure out oh wow i'm i was i was in ketosis for 22 hours that day and but <laughs> only 21 this day because that's just going to cause undue stress but what i what i do is i take a little more laid back approach if i can go out for like a a, a long run where i'm like five six maybe even eight hours and do it on very little fuel just basically water and electrolytes um then i know i'm fat adapted i don't mm-hmm. have to i don't have to have a ketone <laughs> right meter tell me that like if <laughs> you know if i if i if i'm doing that on like 300 calories then it's like yeah i'm my body's Excellent. able to utilize fat so i don't have to really worry about whether i'm in this range or that range and stuff like that so and it also goes back kind of that thing where like using some of those more natural signs as opposed to like the deep like daddy, like I could like draw blood and test ketones every day or tr- test blood sugar and all that stuff. Um but for me that's probably taking it maybe one step too far. But yeah. Strava, I love Strava. I definitely geek out on it. Right. <laughs> well, yeah I, I noticed that myself. I went on <laughs> I,
1: I just recently went on a, a long road trip and the the first part of my road trip was uh four mile it was supposed to be a four mile kayak. Uh, trip to a uh, to a, a camping site. It turned out to be eight miles of kayaking and then another four to six miles of, of hiking, which for me is extreme endurance because I don't train that way at all. Sure, but I am uh, for the most part fat adapted, and I was shocked at how I was okay. Like I was mm-hmm. able to continue doing this kind of like moderate level, long duration of intensity. By the way, I was fasted. I hadn't eaten anything mm-hmm. uh, that entire morning because I had planned on eating, you know, that night. And I felt okay and I wasn't that sore, uh, you know, that the, the day after. And it's 100% because I was fat adapted. My body was able to tap into that. I was going to ask you, what are your favorite sources of fat, oh, dietary yeah. fat?
4: Um, so I definitely try to make sure I get, like, I take a very, very, like, whole animal approach where, like, you know, I'll, I'll get, like, a chicken and, like, I'll cook it. I'll take the meat off. I'll make a bone broth, you know, and stuff. Like, sometimes I'll even slow cook the bones long enough where you can mash them up and put them in something. So you're really getting, like... Know all of the stuff, all those like micronutrients and stuff Excellent. from the animal. So definitely a huge portion of it is, or I won't say huge, but a a, a a sizable portion of it's going to be like animal fats. Um, I do a lot of like coconut oil and stuff as well. Um, it's I, I think it's like you know any any medium chain triglyceride is you know kind of the king of metabolizing. You know any sat. I think I mentioned earlier. I, I try to aim for about half my fat calories come from saturated at least because. um when you look at it, uh, you know saturated fat's been demonized, but really it's the one the body prefers to metabolize. It metabolizes quicker than any other ones. So when I'm trying to get my body to metabolize fat as quickly and as efficiently as possible, I'm going to want to give it the ones that are going to do that more readily. And that's like you know MCTs, coconut oil type things and um, stuff like that. So that one really finds you know uh, other things like extra virgin olive oil, um, you know seeds and nuts. I'll get some fat from those too. Um, That's that's usually probably the bulk of it. Some oils, animal fats, and then seeds, nuts, excellent, excellent. What about
2: what about uh, marijuana in your community? (laughs) Well, no, that's a good question because there's
1: been a lot of uh, uh, outspoken uh, endurance athletes who say that they like that they find benefit from using like an edible or or marijuana either to recover or even before a long you know training cycle
4: yeah you know I, I I can't speak uh from personal experience as to like whether that would make me faster or not, but I know there's plenty of people who do it in our community um and 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 I don't I'm not sure most it's it's funny because a lot of the folks that are are doing it on a regular basis, they're the ones who are a little more laid back about things so like they're <laughs> you not they're don't, you ne- don't say they're not necessarily like oh yeah i don't I, I think there's very fine, very <laughs> very few if any uh, ultra marathon marijuana users are thinking like, how is this going to help my performance? Um, but that's, that question has been asked. So it's, it's gotta be on the back of their mind at this point. And, um, it's really interesting, you know, you hear, you hear both sides and it could be something that, you know, usually ends up being the case where it's very individualistic, where you look at some aspects of it, where you got this increased pain tolerance, you know, like calming effects, great things to have for a hundred mile event. Like, you don't want to be over stressing. You want to be in the moment. You want to like, like not feel some of that pain. That sounds great, but then the other side of it's like you know sitting around on a couch all day and getting lazy. Not necessarily right. So however you respond to it, I suppose would probably play a pretty big role in that. Um, but yeah, you know it's it's a growing field for sure, and especially out here in California where it's it's more accessible than some other states, and um I think you're seeing more and more people play around with it. And you know part of it too from from like a professional side of things too is like the legalities in performance and stuff and and you know currently it's it's not in in the sport of running I think the rules are like it's it's fine to use um, but you can't use it six hours before during or six hours after an event oh. so it's like a hmm. yeah yeah oh, I didn't know that Did you so know that. Um, yeah yeah I did actually yeah yeah it's interesting I just How do they I
1: test for that uh that's exactly a good question i because it stays in your system for so long but right. i I've read a couple articles that uh where they're breaking down the whole runners high you know the runner when people yeah. run for long distances and uh, if you talk to runners who are you know really good at, at running uh they'll tell you that they hit this this there's this this time where they you know after a certain amount of miles where they get this euphoric feeling and uh some scientists are attributing it to the release of uh, endocannabinoids, which are the body's ba- the body's natural cannabinoids, uh, just almost like the ones you find in uh, marijuana, which are called which are phytocannabinoids. Mm-hmm. And so, those endocannabinoids are released to help improve performance. And so, there's some theories going on as to why marijuana may, in fact. Uh, improve, uh, yeah, especially per- endurance performance. performance. Right, endurance performance because your body already trying to do that. So, right, I per- would think those like
4: sub maximal efforts it could it could. There's probably something there. The high maximum efforts, so no. is probably gonna. No, I've tested it. Yeah. no, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> Look, work with that. We can
1: confirm. We can confirm. Yeah. No, <laughs> Maxing it out. No. Does it, uh, What about? Uh, have you try? Yeah. Have you uh, experimented with uh, exogenous ketones at all? And that's a big thing right now. Um in the, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's an up-and-coming supplement. um, And I I predict, I've told these guys already, I predict that to be the next big thing. Um, The science uh, really supports it for athletic performance. Uh, Have you taken anything like that? I haven't yet. I actually, it's funny you mentioned it, though. I was I was talking to,
4: um trying to remember the doctor's name, who was kind of like deep into that, who was developing... Uh, D'Agostino?
1: Dominic D'Agostino, is it? Uh, Maybe. It was, okay.
4: he said, he, I, I remember, like I listened to a podcast, I think uh, it was like Ben Greenfield or something, where they, he was talking about like right now the stuff that actually works um, and that doesn't have any kind of like negative side effects is like super expensive, where it'd be like literally thousands of dollars for a oh, bottle of stuff. yeah. Um, but I got an e- email from a guy a while back saying like, we're putting this into testing. They wanted to know if I wanted to try some. And, um, I think I emailed back saying yes, but, uh, I've got to follow up on that, I guess. Cause yeah, that'd cause be cool to, to play around with. I've been sure.
1: messing around with the exogenous ketones and I definitely notice uh, performance uh, boosts from taking them. Okay. Yeah. You could buy the ketone salts, which are not as effective as the ones that they're testing, uh, in studies right sure. now. So mm-hmm. what about, um, supplements? Do you take any supplements?
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I try to do a really, really whole food approach uh, to my 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 training and stuff. But like, you know, I'm 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 also not necessarily doing what a normal person's going to be doing. I was just going to say, you Great train point. at that level. Right, that's when right. supplements could could definitely for sure. benefit. And it's per, you know, and my goal is to maximize performance, not necessarily live forever too. So it's like for me, I'm I'm looking for. Um, obviously legal, legal things that I can do through my diet and through supplements that are going to help me perform better, recover and stuff like that. You know, I've had a lot of luck with, um, like curcumin extract, uh, mm. as an anti-inflammatory, you know, I'll take like omega three fatty acid stuff. Um, uh, not as much as I used to cause now my diet is pretty heavily focused on clean, you know, animal fats, which oftentimes actually do have a substantial amount of omega threes that balance between the omega threes and omega six isn't as skewed as it would be if I was eating a ton of like. You know, plant fats or like a ton of like really vegetable poorly, oils. Yeah, poorly sourced animal fats where you know the cows are in these big slaughterhouses and stuff. Um, so I that um, you know, I work with a company called uh, X Endurance. Um, that, that that that's what I'll use on like race day, like the the powder for electrolytes and the powder for um for energy. That's like a, it's called Five Fuel and Hydro-X. and um, you know, those those have worked really well for me. The carbohydrate base is kind of like. It's like a steady release. Um, they use they use like a variety of different um, of carbohydrate strains. So it's like get, some are going to release a little quicker than others. Some are going to release longer. Mm. So I find that, it, you know, if I just kind of trickle that in throughout, like I get that little bit of carbohydrate I need. But it's not like this big sugar bomb all at once and then crash and then bomb. And then sure. crash.
1: Um, so it sounds like a staggered approach yeah for sure fast medium slow type Mm -hmm. of deal yep
4: yep yeah so that stuff's worked you know you know i'm I'm a fan of like now foods products because usually like they can you you don't have to do a whole lot of background homework to find out if their stuff is quality sourced from from my experience anyway um so yeah like a lot of times when i'll if i'll if I want to try something out, uh, I'll, I'll go to their site and take a peek at what they got. And
1: Excellent. Uh, what about meditation? Do you do anything, any type of mind training or, or things that help? train, you know, train centering yourself because, like, I, like we had talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, the the mental component is just insane. I can't even imagine it. So I, I would imagine that that would require some kind of training.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too. Like, I think there's so many different ways to go about that, and it kind of like really depends on the person. Like, you know, people use a variety of things like. You know, they'll do like a real structured meditation approach, um, the look through prayer, whatever, and um, they, you know, really, really say like, "I'm gonna actually sit down." Like they'll pencil it in their calendar, kind of a thing. Whereas other people are more like, kind of like, let it happen as it happens. Mm. Um, which I kind of do more of, I think, because like it just it tends to happen. I think a lot of people they get so stressed out that it just won't actually happen unless they kind of like consciously go after it. Um, but for me, like I do so much like aerobic based training, like I find myself kind of drifting into that state oftentimes when I'm working out or, you know, when I'm, I I do a fair amount of driving as well um, with uh, with stopping in and doing like, you know, the footwear clinics and stuff like that. Um, so like I find myself having those quiet times where it's just me, you know, by myself driving as long as the traffic isn't too hectic, I can usually get pretty calm and meditative there. San Francisco at five o'clock, not so much, but (laughs) (laughs) no
3: way.
2: Well, I can totally relate to that because we talked about this on an episode one time and Mm -hmm. we were, we did a whole thing on that. And I said that, you know, for me, it's, it's meditative to actually even be like, I'll have something listening to a podcast. I'll be walking my dogs and. There actually becomes a point where I'll, I'll forget that I just went like five blocks. I forgot mm-hmm. what houses I passed because I'm so just kind of in you're the just moment. In
3: that,
1: yeah.
2: And to me, that's meditative. Like so somebody sure. would try and debate that and argue that you're not, you know, in the silence, dark room or what mm-hmm. that. But I think no,
1: you're right, Adam. I actually I actually talked to a friend of mine who's uh, huge into meditation, and I I disagreed with you at first. I thought, no, that's not. You have to sit down and meditate. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. And uh, she said, no. She said, he's right. You can meditate at any given moment, uh, and it's it's literally being. In the moment, uh, yeah, you know, and so that what you we just talked about is meditating,
2: and right? I fi- and I find for for me like that's the only way it works. I feel if I if I sit down and like say, okay, I'm going to meditate right here. There's like this this pressure to like get meditative, right? And then I'm thinking like, fuck, I got to go handle this. I need to go do this. (laughs) I I forgot I didn't do this yet. I got to pay this bill. You know what I'm saying? Like That's why a
3: change of environment a lot of times is really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. And I talked a lot about, you know, getting into nature and like getting away from like the hustle and bustle of like, you know, other people and and, and jobs and like cars and all this kind of stuff because it helps to kind of like – slow everything down and realize you know where you are as far as like where you are in space so mm-hmm. yeah that helps a lot it's, you-
4: it's really interesting that you mentioned that though because i i was talking to a guy the other day and, and he said the exact same thing where um he actually had dealt with like depression and stuff in the past and if he gives himself that super quiet mode he's he'd he like sinks into a bad place Mm -hmm. where he gets he starts thinking about the negative things he thinks about the past he thinks about oh what what about what about the future that I don't know where he needed to get into the now and just kind of enjoy the moment and he said the same thing he would uh, you know he would listen to podcasts or listen to music because that would really cause him to kind of open his mind and start thinking like like, especially if it was a podcast Just discussing a topic That he's interested in And he's like opening his mind And trying to understand something and he's mm. very much Just like slowly absorbing it And not mm-hmm. like freaking out Or thinking Thinking about things He didn't really need To be thinking about and,
2: That's gotta be totally I And mean, you, you bring up The individual thing right Like yeah. our, our type yeah. of personalities We have You know I feel like because I know other people that are opposite, you know, that's, they have this ritual, they get up and they just, they claim that this sitting with their legs crossed and the room dark and right. they can just get into this yeah. deep, and <laughs> I'm like, I, I have tried that. I mean, I, I grew up in a very religious home, so prayer was a very natural, sure. normal thing. And, you know, I, I have the ADD mind where I just, I'm in close my eyes, put me in a room and I'm thinking about everything but what I'm supposed to be probably thinking about where you know, get me into something. I'm very interested, very relaxed or calming for me that I've done a million times or a song that I love to listen to or a podcast. Like you said, that I'm just totally in the conversation. Like I'm there and mm-hmm. it, it totally settles me down. So
1: now anything on meal frequency for you, is that, is that even important to you? Does that Does that matter? Like, you know, I need to eat so many times a day or not mm-hmm. eat so many times a day. Yeah,
4: it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I find the more dialed in I get, the easier it gets because you can start to kind of just trust your body signals. Like, I, I don't if it sounds like me, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. he awesome. yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it's 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 really funny. Like, I you know, as a society, where we we kind of like we strap ourselves down with these meal times and stuff like that. Where for me, it's like I wake up in the morning, and if I'm going to go for a long run, if I'm hungry, I'll eat something. If I'm not, I won't. And you know, that'll vary. Usually, I'm not hungry in the morning, so. You know, I'll have some coffee, maybe a little bit of raw honey or some coconut milk in there or something like that. And, um, you know, then I'll go out and run and then I'll come back and I'll eat when I'm hungry. And, you know, like I said before, it's sometimes I'm hungry, like as soon as I step in the door, other times it, it takes a little bit. So um, I, I definitely kind of take a little more less structured approach to that. But I got there because of the structure. Like, when I started, I couldn't do that. Like, you know, I came off of a nutritional approach for me that was like sending all these poor signals so like you know i was always hungry or i was always you know the, the i was the thing i always say was the weirdest thing is like i'd at night i'd eat a big meal and like my stomach would be full but i'd still be hungry mm-hmm. it was like this weirdest feeling it's like it shouldn't they that shouldn't match <laughs> or they should match differently so now it's it's different than that like you know if if my body says if my body craves a carbohydrate, I'm usually thinking, well, I probably went really low carb and did a harder effort and, you know, didn't replace the the glycogen fast enough. And my body's saying, Hey man, if you're going to do that again in the next five hours, you should probably, you know, have like some melon or berries or something like that. Or more often than not, I find like, you know, it either like in the afternoon, if I didn't eat big, big meal earlier at evening, my, my appetite will start to spike and I'll start craving like savory things, you know, like um, you know, is it steak or something like that? You know, and then I'll I'll kind of give give me give myself what I what I feel I need.
1: Well, I tell you what, man, it's been a great time talking to you. I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you answered the questions excellent, but uh, a lot of the stuff you said is, mm. I think, very different from what people might expect. Uh, someone like yourself to say, uh, you obviously know your stuff, very very smart, and your approach to uh, your performance and fitness. Uh, really matches the approach that we try to preach a lot about Mm -hmm. listening to the signals of your body Um, and I I love seeing people who can perform at a very high level Mm -hmm. who also have that approach because people I think think that you can't you have to if you have a a high level of performance you have to follow this approach which is super structured super eat you know so many times a day and (laughs) you know and it's like this horrible neurotic like way to live Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas the way you're doing it uh, you know we, we it's probably the best way to do it for longevity as well so for sure yeah what he
2: brings up too which i love to hear him say is that you know at the very beginning of, of all this there was lots of tracking and paying attention to these learning to connect these mm-hmm. signs of course so if, it's a learning I, process yeah you know and that we we talk a lot about that also expressing is, is to people that you know i don't i don't count my if i'm not i'm not competing if i'm just eating or i don't watch and count my shit like i know i know what makes me feel a certain way and mm-hmm. and you scott you said something i've said this a bunch of times too is that normally when you have that feeling i know oh i must i probably didn't get as much fat as i should have got yesterday and i'm and i tapped out of my carbs is why i feel why i'm all of a sudden craving this and either i'll replenish it with a two or three cups of berries and stuff or i'll go have a big old fatty steak meal you know like yeah. <laughs> so i just learned i've learned over time but it took the pain tracking and paying attention right i mean it takes that Uh, paying attention to that and connecting those dots and then it really isn't it really isn't that hard once you kind of put that together you know Mm -hmm. very very cool
1: yeah thanks again it's been excellent yeah
2: awesome having you Zach
1: thank you Uh, thanks for having me on leave us a five star rating review on iTunes if we like your review and we pick it you will win a free Mind Pump t-shirt you can also find us at Mind Pump Radio you can find me at Mind Pump Sal, Justin at Mind Pump Justin, Adam at Mind Pump Justin. Of course, that's all on Instagram. And you can check out our programs. <laughs> did it the third time. I did. And, and you can find us on uh, online at mindpumpmedia.com.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com.